All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 116 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger along with Frank Saravalli as uh, we push into April. Frank, the uh, final month of the season. Uh, the playoff race in the East is uh, very tight for seedings. Uh, there's no race when it comes to who's getting in. We know the eight teams. The West, a little bit different. The L.A. Kings with a big win. They're injury riddled. They win in a shootout in Calgary. They get a point in Edmonton. Uh, you know, Vegas has an easier schedule, but you got to win those games. I think Vancouver is out. I think the Winnipeg Jets loss to the Maple Leafs last night puts them on the outside. I kind of see it down to to nine teams in the West. And when you look at, um, you know, it's probably going to be uh, five central teams. And I would think uh, three, I guess there's a chance Vegas could knock out Dallas, but with all the games in hand, I don't think so. So who do you see today, Frank, on April 1st, the one team out of the nine who you think is on the outside looking in come April 29th? Still Vegas. I mean, the math is pretty daunting. Um, they have 13 games left and they probably need to go something like 10 and three, nine and four, something like that to get in. Not saying yeah. it's impossible, but they've got a lot of ground to make up and the math just really isn't in their favor. 
No, no, it's not. Uh, it's not very great at all. So um, I, I do want to start, though, with the L.A. Kings. And w- when we get into we're getting into awards season now and, and you look at people and Todd McClellan. So one of his top four defensemen, Sean Walker's been out basically the whole year. Drew Doughty's missed. He's only played 39 games. He, he's missed, you know. Almost as many. Well, by the time the season's over, he'll have missed more than he's played. Right. You, you throw in Mickey Anderson, another top four defenseman, even Matt Roy's probably number four or number five. And there was so much talk about Daryl Sutter. Well, and the, and the Flames have had no injuries. The Kings have had tons of injuries and they're only what? Six points behind him. Should Todd McClellan be getting more push for the Jack Adams? Hmm. Oh, I think the answer is yes, but I. Should he be the winner? Yeah, that's really what it comes down to. Like, you know, I think there's a number of guys that deserve consideration um, just going through the list. And I think this is apropos of nothing, but one of my real complaints about the award is sometimes the teams that have, that are the best teams, their coach gets overlooked because the, the, whoever's voting looks at it and says, it's not a media award, by the way, the PHWA doesn't vote on that. Who, you know, the group voting almost looks at it and says, well, their players are good. And I actually think back to the abs and the start of their season, Yes, they had some injuries to start, but remember like in late October, early November, people were calling for Jared Bednar to be fired. Yeah. I mean, it it feels like another lifetime ago, but he should be consideration for sure. Like why, why couldn't, why wouldn't he, why wouldn't Andrew Burnett be in in Florida? Like he steps in maybe the most difficult position possible. Your team was undefeated, literally did not have a loss when everything blew up with the Chicago Blackhawks and their sexual assault cover-up, Stan Bowman resigns in Chicago, Joel Quenville in Florida gets fired, and all of a sudden Andrew Brunette, who's never been an NHL head coach before, you're taking over an undefeated team with a ton of expectations. Yeah, Gerard Gallant for the Rangers. I don't know how many people thought the Rangers would be, you know, they're going to be over a 100-point team. For yeah. sure. And, um, you know, even Rod Brindamore, because if there is a team that's been – I don't know if there's a team that's been more consistent – than the Carolina Hurricanes. And to me as a coach, like when you're a good friend, you still have to coach guys and you have to find ways to keep guys motivated all the time. And, you know, I talk to opposing coaches. The thing about Carolina is, they're incredibly consistent in how they play. Like their co- their players buy into what Brendan Moore is selling all the time. Now we'll see if it transforms into playoff success. But in the regular season, it's like man, shift after shift, the Hurricanes play exactly the way they coach wants them to play. There's no team that embodies more of what their coach his philosophy is than Carolina. But I think we mentioned all these candidates, and I still think the runaway winner for me is is Daryl Sutter. Hmm. I don't think one coach has made a singular impact as great as Daryl Sutter has. And I think that's why he should win. You know, you think about that Calgary team and where they were the last few years, like they were no good last year. Daryl Sutter comes in late. I think that was a huge benefit, you know, and talk to Brad tree living about it earlier this week at, at the GM meetings, that run that they had last year to close out the season under Daryl Sutter was such a key for setting the tone for when they got back in the fall, they took off. I mean, like, look at their, like, look at their goals differential. Look at their goals against like Daryl Sutter set out from the beginning of the season. We want to win 
the Jennings trophy for fewest goals against. That's the only regular season trophy he cares about. The Carolina hurricanes have a slight edge, uh, but the flames have played one fewer game, but still, I don't think any, any one singular coach has had a bigger, larger impact and turnaround over one season's time. Hmm. All right. Now, there are some interesting races. The, and the one race that will be solved on the ice is the Rocket Richard. Uh, Austin Matthews became only the third player in the last decade to score 50 goals, joining Alex Ovechkin and, and Leon Dreisaitl. Leon Dreisaitl needs one more goal to do it again, and Ovechkin's got a chance to do it for the ninth time. I really hope he's got needs eight goals down the stretch to get 50 for a ninth time and tie Mike Bossy and Gretzky for the most. The uh, You know, they are Ross. They're going back and forth. Now, Matthews does have a few games, and he has a few extra games to play down the stretch, which uh, which definitely could uh, could benefit him. But then the heart race, like we're into April, Frank. And for the last few years, usually there'd be someone, you know what? I think this is the guy. And I'm not going to say it was a consensus, but there was kind of obvious one. I can't recall the last time that you get into the final month of the season and the heart trophy is wide open. Like legitimately Roman Yossi should be getting consideration. He's going to score a hundred points for the first time for a defenseman since 90 since 92, since Brian Leach. And you can say Johnny Gaudreau, you can say Jonathan Huberto, you can say Austin Matthews. You know, it's hard to overlook Connor McDavid. And I think McDavid and, and Drysaddle might count, you know, probably hurt each other because they're one, two and scoring and they're so close, but, but there's a lot of guys, Frank, that are in this. And um, as a voter, like I've been following it closely and looking at a lot of different stats. Like it's this is one of the toughest uh, heart heart votes that I can think of in a long time. Probably have to include like there's a, a long list of guys. Like I'd include Kaprizov in that conversation. Yeah. Um, what do you do from Colorado? Like, is it Rantanen? Is it Kadri? Do they cancel each other out? Um, how do you feel about Shesterkin? Yeah, he's another guy. So who would get your vote today? Well, when I looked at all the numbers and and so here's the thing that I, I see sometimes when people make their, you know, they, their statistical stuff, they, they they include five on five, but they completely just, wow, power play doesn't matter. And I'm like, why? Look at goals per minute. Your special teams are incredibly more important. And every team's best players get on the power play. So I just want to point that out. If you're a good power play player, that that to me is not a negative, right? It's not a negative. But um, the the one guy I had today, and it was very close in one versus two, I went with Jonathan Huberdo because the, the gap between him and the guys around him on his team is larger than it is on some of the other teams. That way, and that, so if I'm going by the wording of the rule, I had Huberto and but Roman Yossi, Frank. If Roman Yossi continues what he's doing, he might get my first place vote. Honestly, like I think the, the final month, which is still a good what 15 percent of the season, it really matters a lot, right? Like so, you can't. What I'm saying today on April 1st could be different because you know 14 games out of 82 is a pretty big chunk still. So uh, I had Huberto and Yossi as my top two. Yeah, I I'm not. Uh... I'm not prepared to give an answer and that's not me hedging. It's I, I really don't know. And yeah, I well, don't me either. And I don't want to prejudge it either. Cause I don't, I want to give it some time to bake. Cause like you said, I think that was the best point 14 out of 82 still left. Like yeah. a lot can change. And people were looking at the NARS trophy race as being a done deal. And in fact, the Three betting odds ago. indicated it as such. And now Roman Yossi has flipped that on its head. 
Yeah. Kirill Kaprizov's a great one, Frank. He had an unreal month of March. Um, you look at all the, the, you know, the franchise records that he's setting there. And, you know, he's a player that, and it's only his second year in the league. And he, man, he is leading a team. So, I go by the word of it. The, the one fr- the vote that we have nothing to do with, Frank, is I'm fascinated to see what the players vote this year for who's the be- who's the most outstanding player. Still going right? to be McDavid, isn't it? Probably. And I, right? I was thinking he's also not really getting enough heart love either. Like yeah. he's back this last five, six weeks again. He's oh, I been know. Like right there. Well, that's why his finish. But I do think because him and Dreisaitl – Right. Like he's three points up on dry side, like dry saddle. Frank is going to do something that's incredibly difficult. He's going to go 50, 100, 50 goals, 100 points. That'll be the second time in his career in the history of the game. Like we talked about McDavid. There's five people, 19 people that have scored 100 points five times. There's only 24 players who have scored 50, 100 twice. Right. Like 50 and 100 is just a harder thing to do. Right. And so, you know, you, you know, Matthews has a chance that he could join that club. Right. No one, I haven't to, heard one play person yet mention dry Saito in the yeah. conversation. And I, and I get it because he's, there's McDavid and I understand that. And so he probably won't win. But I think, I think because dry Saito season so good that that might impact McDavid for the heart might not be fair, but when you go by the wording of the rule, most valuable to your team, right. If you can't determine you, who's the most valuable to the team, how do they, yeah, exactly. Right, like they win the award league wide. Yeah, it's a tough one. So, um, and where do you come out on Shesterkin? Um, Well, you know what, his play recently, Frank, has dipped a little bit, and so that's why. Um, but he, he, the numbers he's had, like New York, gives up a ton, and I'm looking at the expected goals and, and everything like that. And I talked to a few of the goalie guys, and so they sent me some numbers. Like he is so significantly ahead, or he was two weeks ago, but even in a two week span. And that's why it's important to note how do the guys finish. I honestly think the month of April might decide who the Hart Trophy is, and that's why I said today I might have Huberto and Yossi. But I'm telling you, Frank, it's like a uh, if I, if they're ranked one, two, three, and four, it's like separated by a decimal point. It's nobody to me is clearly ahead. And maybe that's how it should be. Maybe it should be decided in April. Yeah. We've got a whole month of hockey to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I love it that you don't have to submit your vote till the end of the regular season. That's how it should be. Yep. Yeah. So uh, it's just fascinating. Even like the Rocket Richard one's fun to watch because it's just two guys, you know, and right now they're kind of playing on opposite nights. Dry Settle scores 49. Um, Matthew scores 50. Now Dry Settle plays the Blues tonight. Can, can he match it? And, you know, and, and, both, and I like Dry Settle's honesty. Like, yeah, I'm watching him. Hey, Matthew's a great player. Of course I want to beat him. Like, of course he does. That yeah. doesn't mean he's a jerk. Like, Matthews wants to win, too. Like, they're prideful players. And and trust me, as much as they want to win, oh, their teammates want them to win that award. Right? So, 100%. you know, you look at – and coaches aren't stupid. If uh, – were, were you surprised? Of course Matthews is out for the empty net last night. And you dry saddle will be the same thing. Like, coaches, everybody around – like, players and, and fa- players are just as much of fans of the game as fans are. They're going to be watching very closely. They know what's going on. People cheese on empty net goals – I'm like, you have to have the trust of your coach to be out there in the last minute or two to, to even score it. So they're not just throwing anyone out there to do it. Yeah. Um, the big thing though, Frank, honestly, like I'm a big, as you know, I love looking up numbers and records like Ovi to get to 50 is that's a, that's a record. I wanted to tie Gretzky and bossy. Cause like he got short chain. He, he, you know, he's had the, uh, you know, the, the last two seasons that were shortened, 
And, uh, you know, he would have got 50 definitely in, in 2020 for sure. So, you know, I really hope he can get there just like that's a monumental record. Like that's longevity uh, of greatness uh, to do something like and that. And he still can get there. Oh, yeah. He needs eight he, goals you know, down honestly, the Honestly, he could, it sounds funny to say, but he could still catch Matthews and Dreisaitl. And you might probably look at me and you go, what's wrong with you thinking that? His start of this season, this isn't like five seasons ago. This season, he had 20 goals in 19 games. Yeah. To think that oh, yeah, he, he can get it again, it, it's, you'd never count that guy out. He's a machine. Oh, he's a fantastic goal scorer. He loves to score goals. There's no, uh, there's no question. I do want to ask you, Frank, for fun, because we know the East and we know who's in. When you look at playoff matchups, if, if you got to have your perfect four matchups, in the East, because we know who the teams are. Who do you want to see in the first round of the NHL playoffs in the Eastern Conference? Okay, well, there's there's a lot of layers to this. Are we talking best hockey? Are we talking best drama? Are we talking best chaos? Well, that could be a combination of all three. The one, the four matchups that Frank Saravalli wants that are plausible, right? Like you can't have Carolina, uh, Florida, obviously. You know what I mean? Right. So I would say... Take, give me Toronto, Boston, and shoot that into my veins. Okay. Florida, Tampa. Yes. Although, yes, that would have no, to that take place. happen. That could yeah. easily happen. That would have to take place if that, if the other was to happen. Then you've got Pitt, Rangers, and Carolina, Washington. Yeah, see, ideally, I'd like, and it's not, it's not plausible, unfortunately, at Pittsburgh, Washington, because Crosby, Ovechkin is just, you know, a great storyline. But um, I think those four, ideally, and, and there's a chance it can happen, and I really would like that to happen. Um, the, the, the one match, the team that intrigues me the most here, and we've talked about it, is Shesterkin and the New York Rangers. Because, you know, Pittsburgh had that one stretch, Frank, what, they go like 15-1 and one or something like that. They were unreal at that point. And uh, the Rangers have been pretty consistent all year long. And like Shesterkin to me is the biggest wild card in the East because they've relied on him. And that's why he's in the heart. They've relied on him a ton. If he can do it in the playoffs, Frank, they have a chance, the Rangers, to, to surprise a few teams. It's just, can he do it in the playoffs? Like, can you consistently rely on a goalie that much and go deep? Yeah, I don't, I'm not sold. I just think... In a seven-game series, I think Carolina would overwhelm them in the second round. Yeah. Wow. Hey, well, so Carolina. what about the West, though? Like, let's go through the same exercise. Give me your well, four it, matchups. The four that I would – well, the four that I would like, uh, you know, Colorado. God, Daryl Sutter makes me laugh. <laughs> He just keeps pumping the tires of anybody who plays Colorado is just going to get crushed. Um, so it's funny. How, and, but how about Colorado Vegas? Like how awesome would that be? Because everyone thinks that if Vegas can get in and be healthy, well, first off in order to get in, they would have had to be playing well. So they'd be, um, you know, trending in the right direction, but also everyone thinks the team is better than what their record may have indicated to this point. So could that, could the Vegas golden Knights put the fear of God into the abs in the first round? Is Robin Leonard healthy? That's the question. Uh, I mean, I I think I've made that clear, but apparently I'm not a doctor. So, (laughs) uh, I know I'm not a doctor. Uh, so I'm going to go with this, Frank. I want, so it's going to be Colorado, Dallas. 
Calgary Nashville is the series I want. Now I know that Nashville could easily still catch the Blues, but I want Calgary Nashville because those are two big heavy teams. They're gonna, and it's and it's Soros versus Markstrom. I'd really like that matchup, which leaves then Minnesota versus St. Louis. And you know you you've got is 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 Huso going to be the guy? He's he started twenty of the last thirty He's games for the, the Blues. He's, He's got to be the guy. So, you know, you could be Flurry versus Huso. You know, you've got, you know, kind of Caprice off a young guy. Is Huso legit or not? And then it would be uh, Edmonton versus L.A. Uh, that hasn't happened since in 30 years. There's not really a rivalry there, unfortunately. I just hope that Drew Doughty and, and I talked to Luke Robitaille uh, the other day. They're, they they believe that he'll be ready by playoffs, which obviously would be a big boost. And, you, you know, you you would have, I guess, the coaching angle of McClellan versus Woodcroft. Hmm. Interesting. I would just love to see Avs Vegas. Yeah. Plus yeah, Dallas the playoffs last year and Colorado got knocked out and McKinnon was upset. And I don't know. I just think there'd be so much drama to that. Um, see, I root for chaos. I, yeah, I root no, for good fair. hockey, but I also think Avs Vegas could be good hockey. No, I would agree with you. I just, I think it's really hard. I think Vegas is tough. Dallas's games in hand are going to be a big benefit uh, to them. So uh, we'll see. Can the Vancouver Canucks play spoiler? Because they play the they play Vegas now three times. I think in the first twelve days this month, and uh, the Canucks, uh, you know, we uh, uh, we ruled them out, Frank. We ruled them out of the playoffs, kind of like in a political race when when someone declares the winner. Well, we're declaring uh, Vancouver and Winnipeg out of the uh, the Western uh, Conference playoff races. Sorry, Canucks fans. Sorry, Jets fans. But uh, the two recent losses just put you too far out with uh, with the Vancouver has to go 11 and two to get to 95 points. That's not happening. So, um, Frank, a, a guy that uh, now they're not in the playoffs, but the Ottawa Senators are a team that is a rebuild. Is there ever is are they ever going to come out of the rebuild? And of course, the unfortunate passing of their owner, Eugene Melnick, uh, former NHLer Mark Mathot is going to join us now on the DFO Rundown. Our next guest played in 624 National Hockey League games, including some for his hometown Ottawa Senators, as well as the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Dallas Stars. He played on one of the best junior hockey teams of all time with the London Knights. And he's recently, somewhat recently, switched over to the dark side, doing some media work with both TSN as well as the Wally and Mathot show. You can get that wherever you get your podcasts. Wally and Mathot do a great, sh- a great job with their show, covering all things Ottawa Senators and the NHL at large. He is Mark Mathot. Welcome to the DFO Rundown. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing great. That was a great intro. Wally doesn't do that for me. So anyway, thanks for having me guys. Yeah, no pleasure to have you. And, and I think, you know, we could pick your brain on all sorts of subjects and I would love to dive in and talk about that London Knights team at some point, but I think we have to start here with uh, the news surrounding the Ottawa senators franchise this week and their owner and Eugene Melnick passing away earlier in the week, kind of a surprise to some that may not have known it actually, including the national hockey league itself uh, had a chance to connect with some league executives at the, the GM meetings this week. And they said, we didn't really get a sense of how bad the situation was, uh, how yeah. dire it was until really a week or two ago. And so uh, this news catches a lot of people in the hockey community by surprise. What are your thoughts? What are your remembrances of Eugene Melnick? Yeah. And, and, you know, I never really released any statements or anything like that. Cause I know the, a lot of media people were trying to kind of put in the right words and he had a polarizing um, presence here in Ottawa, as everybody knows, but I mean, he didn't lack passion. That was one thing that Eugene uh, never lacked that of. And it was, and he was always wanted to win. I never had a ton of interactions with him because during my tenure with the Ottawa senators was 
was when he was starting to battle cancer, he was diagnosed and he was sort of, he was a little bit more behind the scenes. So I never really had an opportunity to, to actually sit down and chat with him, but um, you know, I knew how much he cared about the Ottawa senators and, and really for him, it wasn't just, you know, a business, it was a pride thing. And, and he certainly took it very seriously. And I know um, his family was starting to get more involved. His daughters, as they were getting older, were starting to show face a little more around the dressing room. But yeah, I mean, Anytime somebody passes, it's incredibly tragic. You have to think about how or who exactly it affects and directly affects his, his, his younger daughters. They lose a father at a very young age of 62, which, which is tragic. So, um, you know, I think the best way to remember Eugene for me, at least would be to, and being an Ottawa resident, um, would be just the fact that he was that guy that was able to revive the organization here and, and keep the, the senators in town. So I'm incredibly grateful for that. I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity to play for the Sens. You know, he was largely the reason that I was able to extend here in Ottawa, my time and sign a new deal. So I'm grateful for that as well. But I mean, as I mentioned, he'll be remembered for a lot of things. I think people need to focus on the positives and understand that he's mainly and largely the reason the Ottawa Senators were able to stay in town. Yeah, no, no doubt. Some bad, some good, but I don't think he necessarily gets enough credit for also purchasing that team and the debt load that they had way back in 2003 to help keep them in Ottawa. And there were a lot of fun years after that. Uh, How do you view this next you know, series of years for the Sens. I, I, this is such an incredibly exciting time. I think this market, uh, if there was some trepidation with ownership, is going to come alive a little bit in terms of support of the team. Not only that, but the product on the ice should continue to only get better and better. This team is is seemingly right around the corner, knocking on the door. They're almost in a spot, Mark, where they've got almost too many prospects, if that makes any sense. Not all these guys are going to be able to make the team. So they're going to be in an interesting spot with, you know, cap space prospects uh, and some bona fide NHLers that have really carved out some roles for themselves. Yeah. They're at a, they're at a critical point because right now they've, they've got all their pieces in place, right? You look at their core uh, and I'm not going to name drop all the players, but they've got all their young guys that they've brought up through draft picks that are very impactful players on this team now. So, um, I think for me, if you're the organization, if your management comes down, like most situations, like most teams, focus on insulating these good young players with quality veterans. And that's good. That's always sort of been an issue. And there's been different theories out there with regards to, well, maybe they've been lacking true uh, legitimate free agents because of, you know, internal budgets, or maybe they were, they've had their own team restraints as far as what they're willing to spend. But as far as I'm concerned, when I look at this group now, they're going to be looking at some hefty price tags moving forward. You've got some players now like Josh Norris, Tim Stutzla on the horizon as well. And then, of course, looking even more forward, players like Jake Sanderson, who will need to sign over the next couple of seasons. I'm assuming all these guys are going to be looking at some pretty hefty tags. And we're talking about a small market team. These aren't the Toronto Maple Leafs. So um, they're going to have some interesting moves to make. I think for me, this is their, this is their time, right? Like to take that legitimate next step forward to maybe to become a perennial playoff team, if you will, you have to got, you have to have some legitimate guys to fill in here and help out. You look at the Leafs, you look at some of these other great teams around the NHL that have had a lot of success, at least regular season success over the past few years. You got to bring in some good vets. And that's always something that I'm big on. Finally, Otto has a little bit of stability, perhaps in goal with Anton Forsberg, who's starting to emerge. I think the team and the organization and the fan base is hoping that he'll cement himself as a true number one. I mean, he's been a bit of a journeyman up until this point 
finally now at the age of 29, he's kind of coming into his prime. So goaltending has always been an issue. But I think for me, ultimately, you've got all the right pieces here. I'm not going to just give you some long-winded answer. They need to go out and find the right guys this summer. There's no rush per se, but you almost think the team's sort of taken a step back. I hate saying that. I think that the hope was that they'd be knocking on the door this year. I mean, you look now, they're, they're, they're behind a couple of fairly rebuilding teams as well. You look at Buffalo, Detroit, some of these teams are ahead of them, and I don't think that was in the plan. So I'd like to be a calming voice for the Sens fan base right now, but to me it's at a point now where there's a lot of pressure on the organization to make some big moves this summer. And Mark, with that, and of course, with Eugene Melnick's passing, there's the uncertainty of the ownership. And I understand that there's a lawsuit, uh, you know, surrounding it and and that until that's sorted out, uh, you won't know. But there's been talk for a few years of of a lot of other local owners, uh, you know, who are interested in this team from an ownership perspective. How important is it and how quickly do you think there's there's going to be a change or, or do you think the Melnick family will maintain ownership? That's a, and I can only speculate. And obviously we're all reading a lot of different inf- information that's out there that's coming at us and it's coming at us pretty quickly. Um, and certainly in light of his very recent passing, I hate speculating about this stuff, but I, it is a business and it has to keep going. Um, I know his daughters, from my understanding, they're very interested. And I know that I, th- I shouldn't say no, but I'm pretty sure I know Eugene wanted to keep it somewhat within the family or at least have some involvement from his daughters. Um, I know that they've been very interested in that, but you're seeing a lot of different groups throw their hat in the ring right now. And there's no surprise. There's been interest from a lot of people now over the past few years, ever since the LeBreton flats uh, ideas here in Ottawa, as far as moving the location down to Ottawa kind of came into fruition. A lot of people started becoming interested. A lot of groups, I've heard different things as far as, you know, some retired players perhaps somewhat being interested. I know everyone's heard Daniel Alfredson being interested. And then you've got guys like Chris Phillips and Chris Neal, um, probably more as ambassador roles, of course. But for me, I think uh, from a stability standpoint, I think, you know, with Gary, we know you look at Phoenix right now, and I know this has already been floated out there. I'm going to repeat it. If Phoenix can make it work with a 5,000 arena, 5,000 in-person <laughs> arena, the Ottawa Senators can make it work. And, you know, Gary has a soft spot for the Ottawa Senators. They're not going anywhere. At least I don't believe they are. Um, you know, I think if, if you're the ownership group at this point, you certainly have to be receptive to offers and you have to hear people out. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be interest there. But as, as far as the, the day-to-day goes, I know Anthony, Anthony LeBlanc, We'll probably be seeing the over the, the you know the day to day stuff right now with the sends and, and and how the business is run. But I think like most people, uh, Jay, like we just we can only speculate. We don't actually know. We don't have a crystal ball. They've been keeping those talks um, very private. There hasn't been a ton of leaks. So I, I like just like you guys. Even though the fact that I'm in Ottawa, I can only speculate I, at this point. I don't really have a clear cut idea. And Mark, uh, you know it's interesting you, you mentioned how maybe they took a little bit of a step back this year, and you know, I've yeah. been a big believer for a while that you know rebuilds really take sometimes eight to ten years when you look at it and teams don't want to say that they never really want to pronounce it but when you go back and 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 comb through the teams that did it it takes that long and i find the one consistent error is teams do what you said the senators lack they don't have enough veterans to help their young guys it's great to have all these young guys come up but young guys just don't they're they're gonna make more mistakes just a proven fact now getting fourth line guys 
Like, that's great to have them, but you need legit veterans in your top six and definitely in your top four on the blue line. So, you know, it's hard for me to evaluate DJ Smith when I don't, when I think sometimes he's going into a gunfight with a knife, right? It's not the coach's fault if you don't have the players, but Dorian and Smith, what, what do you think of their security as GM and coach past this season? That's a tough call. And, 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 you know, cause they've just been extended. They've been given a little bit of security. Um, you know, and I know, you know, we all know Pierre's been there for a long time now. He's, he's been with the Ottawa Senators organization under Brian Murray initially with that tutelage that helps big time. But I, I, I think they're probably going to be under the gun. Realistically speaking. I mean, I don't want to be disingenuous. I don't want to just throw sling mud around. I, I, I do firmly believe though, that the pressure is on like, let's be honest here. I think, It'll be telling if they do have their jobs going into next season, you have to think that the leash is going to be fairly short because at the end of the day, this is, you know, we're in the business of winning and you need some production. And whether you believe your fan, your, whether you believe your organization belongs in the postseason or not, it, I think it really comes down to just being competitive. I think at this point after X amount of seasons and, and kind of having some ups and downs, fans just want to see more wins, right? I, that keeps them into the building. You want to be in contention past Christmas, you know, <laughs> gone are the days where you're perhaps competitive up until, you know, the beginning of de- December. And then all of a sudden things start to teeter a little bit. You're out of the playoff talks. All of a sudden you lose interest. Your fan base doesn't give a shit anymore. People tend to move on. They, they float to other sports. They lose interest. So, I think for me, when it comes to Pierre and DJ, you know, you look at that first block of perhaps 10 games or so going into next season, the pressure is going to be on for them to perform. So, so as I said earlier, you have to provide some good insulated complimentary players this summer. You just do. And we're looking at a legitimate top six forward and perhaps even a top four defenseman. Yes. This seems to be something that most teams around the NHL are looking for, but this has been people have been very adamant and vocal that this team is desperate for that for the past three years. So I think, you know, the, you know, patience is starting to run very thin here. People want to see a winner. I think the expectation level is reasonable. I don't think people expect this team to be a top four team in their division, perhaps right away, but just compete, be there, be right up there in the conversation up until at least the last 10 to 20 games. And I think that'll satisfy a lot of people. The expectation level here is incredibly low right now, guys. They're not expecting a Stanley Cup every season like the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's just be in contention. Well, that that was where I was heading next is there's such a large gap to bridge. How could one team that's in that bottom four possibly expect to jump into the top four in the Atlantic next year? (laughs) The gap between the gap between Detroit and and Boston right now is 28 points. It's it's 37 between the Sens and, and fourth place. Like, is anyone can anyone close that gap in one summer? Like, I, I think it's almost like you need well, a healthy dose of reality here and that you, right. know, you can complain all, not you, but the, the market can complain all they want about the GM and the coach. Like they're also not miracle workers. Like, you know, there's yeah. not someone out there on the free agent market that you're going to be able to add. That's going to help close that gap. No, I agree. And that's, that's going to be the challenge, right? I think when you, Look, when you talk about expectations and you mentioned teams that they have to leapfrog. So as it stands right now, assuming Montreal gets better too, and they're in the bottom, but it's, but they're going to like, if you're Ottawa and you're a fan, you have to look forward to Boston, Detroit, Buffalo, right off the bat, right? That four five and six spot. Can you leapfrog those teams? Is that a possibility for your organization? 
I mean, with the we all thought Detroit was in a serious rebuild, and they're looking pretty good right now. I mean, considering their pieces that they have. Now, the only thing I'll say about Ottawa is that they've had a ton of adversity this year. Yes, almost every team has had and gone through COVID. I am aware of that. But even more importantly with Ottawa and their goalie inconsistencies, they've had a lot of injuries. They've been incredibly thin on their back end. They were thin going into the season on defense. Um, then you lose Shabbat for a couple of games, which they had to go through a little while back and probably for the rest of the season now you're really seeing how exposed that back end is. And I know the Leafs were sort of going through that for a couple seasons where they were now on it to a different degree, of course, but they were looking for a little bit more strength and a little bit more stability back there. Even in goal, Ottawa's very much in a similar situation right now. And injuries have been a huge issue. Um, COVID was a big problem as well. So, and, and then of course, playing in front of no fans, like a lot of teams up here, Toronto was going through it too. That's never an easy thing either. It's hard to get up for games. So again, I know I'm using a lot of excuses. You guys probably want to puke when I'm defending Ottawa the way I am right now, but I also am a realist and I do have realistic expectations. I know where they stand right now. Do I see them being a playoff team next season? No, I don't. I think everybody, most people would be surprised if they were, but I just want to see them take a step forward. I do think they, I do believe they've taken a step forward with their internal growth as far as a lot of their young core pieces like Kachak, Batherson, Norris, et cetera. But I think moving forward, you know, you got to, I think fans are getting a little sick of that. They just want to see a better team on the ice. Yeah. At some point it's going to happen. Um, I wanted to ask you just about your experience playing in your hometown, what that was like. I, you know, back in that, uh, that run to the Eastern conference final game seven, double overtime. I was at that entire series. It was, that was a bananas game. Um, but I once referred to you as the yin to Eric Carlson's yang on the send blue line. Um, what, what's it like, you know, watching some of your former teammates, how close of tag, do you keep on them uh, as you continue to watch games? Uh, I mean, yeah, well, first of all, that season was very special for us. It's funny that we're, we talk about it all the time and we weren't even in the Stanley cup final, but it was, it was a good season. I think we surprised a lot of people during that year and we were so close, but in any case, um, yeah, I keep tabs on a lot of guys to talk. I still talk to Eric Carlson lots and Mark stone and Derek Broussard and um, other players that I've played with that year. But um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how much turnover we've had here in Ottawa since that season. And, and it happened quickly. I mean, understandably. So now that we're five years removed, um, I'm not shocked to see almost no players that were there. I think Nick Paul was the last one of the last guys uh, that was even in the organization. He wasn't even playing at that time, but um, you know, times change. And I still talk to a lot of them. They'll still reach out to me occasionally when the team makes a move um, and they can give me their two cents on, you know, said player, but um, you know, Eric being in San Jose now, you don't really hear much about it anymore. Right. I mean, he was a, a perennial all-star with the Ottawa senators playing in Canada. And now that he's in San Jose, you just don't hear a whole lot anymore. And the same applies perhaps to Mark stone um, to a degree, at least. I mean, they're obviously, a, they've been a much better team in Vegas, but you know, you keep in touch with guys like that. And um, I think as a hockey player, you don't really get to keep in touch every day or as much as you'd like, but whenever you do catch up again, it's like, you know, it's like you were just playing yesterday. You just, you catch right back up. Like, like you were, you didn't miss a beat. And um, I miss all those guys. I certainly miss playing, 
that, you know, my first year removed when I was retired was really hard for me. And then obviously got into this whole thing where I'm, as you mentioned earlier, I'm on the dark side now and uh, it keeps me busy and I'm enjoying it. But yeah, as far as communication goes with the players, I try to keep my professional life away from that. I, I don't want to be too much of an insider and grease info from them. It feels kind of dirty. I just stick to critiquing players and analyzing stuff yeah. that I see on the ice. That's truly the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> I know and I wasn't poking fun at you, Frank. No, I'm no, I, but I'm, I, player it's trust me i get it yeah mark you mentioned the you know the veteran players and guys you played with and you look at cody cc and the player he was in ottawa with you and then the player he is now in edmonton now and he's a prime example of for you know outside of the eric carlson's and you know the drew dowdy's and kale mccars the guys who step in and they're they're top pair guys right away lots of guys take time does Ottawa have the patience? Like, do you see guys in that organization who defensively right now might not be where the team needs them to be, but they got to stick with it? Because often you'll see teams that give up on young defensemen three, four years in. Ah, you know what? We can't wait any longer. And then they look and three years later, like, God, we really need that guy. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating um, sort of thing because it, it happened to me. I mean, I was in Columbus um, and I believe I was traded. Oh, maybe I was a little older at that point. I was closer to 28, but that was for me, at least personally, that was getting into my prime. And yes. then I ended up in Ottawa and I just, I was a much different player. I, I totally agree with that. I think teams oftentimes jump the gun a little too early when it comes to defensemen. The same could be said about goaltending, but that's a little trickier, maybe a little more gray, but with defensemen, we all know they mature much later than forwards do. Um, and, and you mentioned Cody CC, Jason, that was a really good example of a guy that that was essentially the whipping boy here in Ottawa when it came to the fan base. Yeah. They were getting fed up with them. And, and I oftentimes didn't understand the hate because I played with them. He was playing huge minutes here in Ottawa with Dion Phaneuf at the time and was a, a critical part of that decor that we had. And, um, but, but yeah, I mean, when we're talking about Ottawa, you know, there's a lot of talk about a young player that, that was essentially acquired in the trade via Mark Stone and Eric Brandstrom, who's currently playing in Ottawa, a lot of people probably out there um, where you guys are covering hockey are probably very familiar with him, but he's a highly touted prospect now playing with Ottawa. And um, you know, it's a player that admittedly I'm losing patience with, but I keep forgetting that he's only 23 and these players tend to get better with age. Now, some of the players with Ottawa, my criticism, my criticism with the Ottawa senators in their decor and a lot of the young guys is a lot of them are all the same. They're not very large bodies. They're, they're all under six feet tall. Um, not overly offensive, not overly defensive, not necessarily power play guys. I can't really figure out what they are, and we have a lot of them here. So those are a lot of pieces potentially that the team and organization could use uh, in trades. But um, to, to single out one player, that's sort of the problem right now, guys, is that we don't really have any significant young prospects coming up, or rather not in the lineup just yet. We have a lot of guys, journeymen. You know, we have guys like Delzato. Uh, Hamannick, Zaitsev, who you guys are familiar with, I'm sure a little bit. Nick Holden. These are all players that I don't necessarily see in the long-term plans with the Sens. So there's a lot of work to be done there on that back end. And a lot of that happens through good drafting. And and we're going to see a player like Tyler Clevin coming in from the NCAA. Jake Sanderson is another name, obviously, that we potentially could see here before the season ends. Um, but that's going to be a work in progress. The decor is a little behind the forward group right now, and that's an area that they're going to have to address. Hey, Jay, well, Mark, I, I wanted to jump in. I had a quick thing, you know, just you mentioned Cody Cece, and I was thinking about this the other day, Mark, yeah. and I wanted your take. 
to me, Cody Cece is the poster boy for how fans and the, and the market views a player based on how much money they're making. Now, and the example I'll give you is, you know, for the last couple of years, Cody Cece was at four or five his last year in Toronto. And then he goes to Pittsburgh last year at one, two, five. And all of a sudden everyone goes, man, Cody Cece's really good. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, it's not because Cody Cece probably was never different in any stop that he's been at, but no. now he goes from last year. Oh, this guy's really good. And he's at one, two, five. And now he signs a four year deal in Edmonton at three, two, five. And all of a sudden everyone's groaning again, going, what's wrong with this guy. And it's like, he's probably <laughs> just been the same exact player the whole time. Yet everyone yeah. views everyone now based on how much they make, because yeah. you have to, it's a salary cap world. Does that drive you crazy as a former player? A little bit, but it's amazing uh, how good of a pulse fans have on the game, right? When you think about it, like they're aware that he's making significantly more right now. Hence the criticism that follows to me. I mean, I find that entertaining and you're always going to get, you get that in every sport. It's not exclusive to hockey, but um, yeah, it can be frustrating and it's certainly frustrating for a player. A good example um, for the base here in Ottawa is a player like Colin White. Colin White here with the Ottawa Senators, uh, right wingers making know, 4.75 right now as a third, fourth line player. He's a victim of his cap hit. And that's um, something that will never change. Uh, I think it happens to most players, certainly players that are maybe more role type guys that are making a little more than they maybe should be, but are liked by the organization. They sign a pretty comfy, cushy deal. And then eventually fans start, you know, being more aware of it. The numbers don't back it up and the hate comes in. I, I think it's a little unfair, but it'll never change. It doesn't matter what I say as a former player on your people are always going to be hypercritical of players that come by with a huge price tag that aren't performing at the level they expect them to. It's just part of the game. Yeah, well, right now, say people in Edmonton, uh, Oilers fans, uh, Cody Cece's exceeded their expectations. Many uh, were critical of the signing, and now they're like, holy jeez, he's playing top pair of minutes. He's being their best right exactly. defenseman by a mile. And so he's yeah. looking as, as a bargain. But going back to Ottawa's defense, Mark, um, Honestly, they need a young Mark Mathot. And I don't say that to pump your tires, but I'm talking a guy who's a defense. Like you had Eric Carlson and Frank talked about. Here's a guy Mark Mathot was kill penalties, be big and strong. And in today's game, all you have to do is look at the last few years in the Stanley Cup. If you don't have a bunch of big, heavy defensemen, like it's great to have Victor Hedman, who's a freak because he's 6'6 and is also one of the best offensive guys. But you know, you throw in the size of their defense. And I look at Ottawa. Shabbat's a dynamic player, but he needs a defensive defenseman partner who's six foot three. Uh, I yeah. look at Jake Sanderson coming up. Same thing is, is Ottawa like Zub. Now, where do you see him fitting in? And is Ottawa eventually going to have to trade somebody to go out and get some bigger defensemen? That's, that's a great question. I love hammering this topic home, uh, but I, it's tough because when you look at, when you look at Shabbat, you mentioned Shabbat, he's a pretty dynamic player. The pairing that has worked since day one here in Ottawa has been with Artem Zub. Artem Zub, most people probably around the NHL are very unfamiliar with him, but he's been a terrific, a terrific, excuse me, stay-at-home defenseman here in Ottawa. Unfortunately, they've been had to, they've been split up quite often because it's been so thin on the back end. Where do you find these guys? Well, oftentimes yeah. you have to draft them. I, I, but I love, I love the point you make as far as that big heavy style game that happens in the postseason, whether we like to admit it or not. And I know people go, ah, oh, there goes Mathot again. You know, obviously his bias is showing he's a, he was a former bigger defenseman, but I, I don't believe in just being a big body. You have to move. Yes. You've got yes. to be able to move your feet, you know, and, 
in today's NHL, when I'm watching games right now, my biggest thing, you know, when I'm seeing some of these players being acquired is if you're the general manager or your scout, the first thing you should be looking at is their skating ability. Just can they keep up? I'm not saying that they need to go out there and score 50 goals like Austin Matthews. No one's suggesting that. No one's suggesting that you need to have a 25-point season as a stay-at-home defenseman. Just can you complement your offensive partner and can you keep up with them? Are you a defensive liability? If you are if you are able to keep up and you're not a liability in your own end, you're a good pickup. But I do think it is significant when you look at the, the past – just conference finals in general, not just the Stanley Cup winners, but the, the, the four teams that make it into those conference finals. They've got a couple bigger defensemen they can move pretty well that have a good physical presence. That's someone or rather something that I think the team, that most teams rather, but especially the Ottawa Senators need to go after. Now, which players are available? I'd have to look at the free agent list and take a look at who's out there right now. But, uh, you know, size is important. And it's not just about being a big, mean, scary guy. It's having a long reach. It's breaking up three on twos, breaking up rushes. You've got the reach. You're good at boxing out players at net front. You're good at making life difficult for your opponents. That's the recipe right there, really. And I firmly believe that Um, some of the teams around the NHL are are poised and are in a good spot when it comes to having those players. But it's getting your foot in the door. It's getting to the dance and in order for those players to flourish. So, yes, I do agree, Jason. They need to go after some big defensemen, at least one or two players. And and as I say that, I'm going to ask the next question about a guy who's not big and he's not a defenseman. But (laughs) there's lots of rumblings that in the offseason, maybe Claude Giroux comes home. Do you see that as a fit right now for Giroux or the Senators? Does it actually make sense? That's such a tough question because it all comes down to the individual, right? So if you're Claude Giroux right now, well, first of all, you're you're experiencing one of the best markets to play in at the moment in Florida, right? So it's beautiful. It's warm. The tax rate, although is insignificant for the most part in the postseason, matters big time when your paychecks are rolling in. Is Claude worried about money? Probably not. So you can probably cross that one off the list. But do you want to win at this point? Like how hungry are you for a Stanley cup? How do you want a Stanley cup? Or if he does win a Stanley cup, I could see it happening. Uh, then he can ro- ride off into the sunset, play in his hometown in front of his family and friends. I do know he's built a home. Uh, I don't know, five minutes down the street from, from, from the, um, from where the Sens play in Canada. He's close. He's got a lot of friends here, which I'm aware of. He's a very social guy. He's got a big following here in Ottawa. So there's certainly going to be a lot of influence. But if I'm Claude Giroux and I don't win a Stanley Cup this season, I'm certainly going to be exploring my options elsewhere because I just know now from playing around, you know, playing in Columbus, playing in Dallas, being in other cities, there are a lot of fantastic options out there. And Ottawa, I don't think would be at the top of my list. Um, but if you're Claude, it's, it's obviously an option. I just don't see it happening. That's my honest answer. I love the honesty. Um, you've brought some of that honesty to your post playing career. Now in the media, we just joked about the dark side. What have you enjoyed <laughs> it? What's it been like for you? And has there been something, you know, good and bad that's been eye opening for you in terms of the media? It's, um, yeah, it's the first year was hard. Uh, I always wanted to get into it. I, I didn't know what way, shape or form it would look like, whether it was a podcast, which never even crossed my mind five years ago um, or TV or radio, whatever it would have been. My issue initially was being critical, um, analyzing players, 
mostly players still that I've played against and me being recently removed. It's like, you know, can I, can I be that guy? You know, I don't want to be the guy that players are talking about in the room that, you know, I'm here. I am shit talking a player and his ability to play. And um, I, I, it made me uncomfortable. Uh, but I think after a little time away from the game, away from playing more players, more, you know, the influx of new guys that are coming into the league, it made it more easy. And then of course, Wally reaches out to me uh, almost what, what's it been now? I don't even know now how long it's been, but about a year and a half into my retirement, Brent Wallace reaches out, talks to me, pitches the idea and I'm on board because it, it started local. You know, I didn't mind the idea of covering the Ottawa senators. It was easy. It was light work. Um, and I thought I could do that. And then of course it just sort of grew out of that. And I started doing a little more work with TSN and um, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I never, I guess I underestimated the, the passion from some of the fans online because I'll have a stupid hot take occasionally oftentimes i'm trolling um but then the 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 outpour of of let's say the leaf fans for example or any other fan base that have a big base they come in strong and i i get it prettier now i'm i've got thick skin i played i'm used to the insults um but when they're coming in in abundance the way they are it can get difficult so you have to try to not look at all of it have a little bit of fun with it but um you know Keeping, keeping your eye on the ball, focusing in on all that hockey can be overwhelming at times. So you have to try to find that healthy balance between doing your job and, you know, enjoying your retirement and your time with your family and not driving your wife too crazy watching hockey all the time. So that's been a challenge. I'm enjoying it uh, for now, at least. And, uh, you know, if I can, as long, for as long as I'm enjoying this job, I will continue to do it. But the moment I feel like it's just too much, I will probably peacefully back off. But for now, it's fun. I'm having a good time with Wall. I'm having a good time with TSN covering the games in Ottawa. We'll go from there. Good. Um, wanted to ask you about your, you see your Jersey over your shoulder there, the London Knights. Oh, four Oh five. I, I teased off the top. One of the best junior teams of all time. The players on that team, uh, Corey Perry, Rob Shrimp, Danny Savret, go down the list, Brandon Prust, Mark Mathot, Dan Girardi, lots of NHLers uh, that yeah. came through that team. What you guys have like seven losses the entire year it was yeah. incredible what you guys were able to do. So I wanted to put you on the spot. If you had two former teammates from that team that were to go off and start a podcast today, who would they be? Oh man. Well, it depends because <laughs> I know Brandon Prust can be pretty polarizing online and, you know, he and I were always friends. Um, so, you know, we had him on as a guest on our show and we got a little bit of, um, I don't want to say hate, but a lot of people scoffed at that because he's got some strong opinions and views. I don't mind that people it, though, that kind of stuff usually tends to gain a lot of traction. So maybe having a guy like Brandon Prust, I'd say Corey Perry, but he's pretty monotonous behind the camera. I mean, probably one of the worst interviews out there. So uh, I love Paris. I always pump his tires as a player. Not a good guy on camera to have. So maybe a guy like Rob Shrimp or Danny Savret with paired with a player like Brandon Prust, I could see something working there. It would be a, a type of show you wouldn't want to read the comments on, but I'm sure the views would be pretty good. I like that. Uh, Mark, we always like to end with, uh, with rapid fire. The, uh, the only rule is you have to answer the question. Okay. okay fair enough. All right. Um, what impressed you most playing with Eric Carlson? Uh, his casual approach to the game, despite him being one of the most dynamic players of all time, him eating hot dogs in Montreal before a Montreal Canadiens game, 
coming from a guy who is a health freak like myself was astonishing and cringing at the same time. Yet he'd go out there and have an incredible night. So his ability to just be such a freak on ice, despite his off ice habits to me, impressed me the most. If he hadn't had the Achilles injury, like I really, how much do you think that's impacted him? Big time. I think it has. And I think he would deny it. Um, But I think that's just a credit to his ability to respond to, um, you know, playing with a lot of through it, a lot of adversity. I mean, that Achilles injury was significant. It it could be the kiss of death for a lot of people. Eric's had an ability to play beyond that. Um, Is he the same player now? You can make an argument at times that he is. Obviously, he's lost a little bit of step. Most players do when they get older, but um, very special player. I've got nothing but positive uh, stuff to say of Eric Carlson. Are you still a health freak? Do you monitor what you eat? (laughs) I try to, but I have shoulder problems, back problems, knee problems. I think that's mostly why I'm so cognizant of my body and why I work out so much and eat properly, because if I let myself go, I will not be able to move. So um, that's something that I think a lot of people don't really appreciate with, with a lot of pro athletes is that we're borderline crippled after our careers and it can be very hard to manage. What is your favorite cheat meal? Pizza. No question. Pizza and lots of mushrooms. My hate, my wife hates it, but I load on the mushrooms and cheese. Um, probably once every two weeks, I'll pound a whole pizza to myself. Pineapple on pizza. No. And I, I would put a gun to your head if you did that in front of me. <laughs> what is uh, what is your go-to cocktail of choice? Uh, whitewater beer. Uh, that's a free plug or truthfully Pinot Noir. I love, I love red wine probably have a glass every evening with my dinner while I'm cooking. Um, that would be my go-to when you played, which forward was the toughest one for you to defend? Pavel Datsuk. Absolutely up there. Uh, Sidney Crosby up there. Um, players like Ovechkin. I never found that difficult to play against because they're, sh- they're pure shooters, but the guys that were really good setup players, very strong bases. Crosby's got massive quads, legs, lower body, hard to hit off the puck. Same with Datsuk. Those are the types of players to me that were always hard to play against. Unheralded defensive defenseman in today's game that you're a huge fan of. Oh, Pelic. I thought you were going to say Gavrikov. Uh. (laughs) Or or Labushkin. No, I'll say, I'll say Pelic. Pelic. How often do you troll Maple Leafs fans for your own pure enjoyment? (laughs) Not often enough, but if I do it too often at that frequency, then it loses its luster. So I'm, I pick my spots about once a month. I like to rile them up big time. And then uh, all the little Austin Matthews avatars and, um, you know, and, and Mitch Marner (laughs) avatars come after me, the leaf season guys with the hashtags. And um, I have to weather the storm for about 24 to 48 hours. And then it goes away. Have you ever thought about turning off your mentions? (laughs) No, I love it. Um, I don't know what that says about me and my day to day and how bored I probably really am, but I enjoy the banter and I love, I love the pushback. Bring it on right now. Who is your Stanley cup favorite? I, this is going to be a hot take. Well, maybe not so hot, but I'm still leaning on Tampa. I know they're trickling away a little bit, but I mean, they know how to win. They've got the experience. Uh, we talked a little bit about, about this prior to the show too. I'm more curious as far as postseason goes. I want to see what the Maple Leafs can do. Can they pass the first round? My eyes are on them. In five years from now, so start of next season, over the next five years, 
Who is going to have combined most points for the Ottawa Senators the next five seasons? I'm going to go with Drake Batherson. He's been injured. He's back now. I'm going to go with Drake Batherson. Love the Drake. Good Seinfeld reference there. Mark, (laughs) thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Mark Bethot, good guy. Very well-spoken former player. I loved his honesty about Corey Perry. You know, like Corey Perry is kind of a rat on the ice, and so you'd think he'd be a good chirper off of it, but his own teammates say maybe not. So, um, plus, uh, you know, who knows if that's something he'd want to do. But, uh, you know, Mathot's been good. I like that he admits it. Hey, some days you just have some fun, uh, you know, getting after uh, the fan bases. It's, you know, Toronto, Ottawa have a pretty good rivalry uh, on the ice, and definitely off of it and you know, I'm curious about that organization Frank and and where it's going to go here in the future uh, you know b- because ownership is is key to any successful organization I'm a big believer if you have good ownership with a good direction plan you got a much better chance of success well you need hands-off ownership and I think that was always one of the big complaints about the Ottawa Senators was just that Eugene Melnick was involved in in almost everything whether it was you know transactions, payroll, um, communications. Like there was a lot of different areas that he touched. There wasn't anything that he didn't control. And that, that was always the criticism was let your people do the work. You know, that's, that's the beauty of someone like Jeff Vinnick in, in Tampa provide every resource imaginable and then go back and, and sit back and enjoy it as a fan, wear your Jersey to the game and, and, and have a beer and enjoy it. That's, that's really what the point should be. And, um, you know, I think that was lost a little bit of times. And I think the reason for that, it's not a negative is that he was so into it. He was so passionate about, um, about trying to win. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's certainly going to stick out by the way. Um, you know, I asked that specific question about the podcast. We've been working on a little something. I can't reveal anything more, but we, we, we do have two former players from that team working on a project could be the next daily face-off podcast to join the network. So I wanted to see if he would hit on the, the guys that I was thinking. And, uh, he definitely, he definitely nailed some of them. So that's a good sign. Hmm. I don't want to tease it either, but I have a good idea. Uh, so we'll, we'll for a future date uh, on the broadcast. Frank, have yourself a great weekend. Uh, you know, some playoff races in the West. The LA Kings just keep rolling uh, despite all their injuries, making it tough on on Vegas and, and Edmonton and you know in Dallas. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, have a good weekend. We'll talk to you Monday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. 
Now here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.